Hmm. Um, why do I have two eyes if I only see one thing? Did God mean for a giraffe to look like that? Can we have hot dogs in heaven? God, how did you know that you were God? Um, hmm. Who do you think will win Super Bowl 53? The Patriots, of course. I'm going to stop short of saying I heard God about on that. I'm just saying that. <laughs> Winning friends and influencing people. That's what I do. It's good to see you here today. Those kids asked some really cool questions. And we're starting our Because You Asked series today. And I'm excited about it. And uh, it's going to, be a, going to be a good day, going to be a good series Last week was awesome. We prayed for more people collectively. I just say thank you to all of our prayer partners. Uh, we prayed for more people collectively last week than maybe any other specific Sunday. And so I, I encourage you, as God brings those answers to your prayers, I encourage you to share those, share those blessings. Let people know what God's doing. Uh, share it on the website or share it personally, either one. Uh, just we want to be able to celebrate with you, but it does something good for you when you share, and it also does something for the people that you're talking to. When you share, it blesses everyone, and so I encourage you share the testimony of what God is doing in your life. Uh, speaking of testimonies, we had a good testimony this this week. Uh, the pipe in one of the uh, closets back here burst, and water was going everywhere, and 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 that's not the testimony part. The uh, that's the reality part, and then. But the testimony is that God uh, allowed it to happen whenever everybody was here or several people were here. And so people were able to catch it quick. And then I have to give kudos to Ms. Kuzno. Uh, Stephanie did a great job. Our office, our operations manager did a great job getting the plumbers out here. You'd be shocked at how hard it is to get plumbers out here on whenever it's, well, 4,000 degrees below zero or something like that. Um, but it, she did a great job. And so thank you. We have a great team here. Let's say thank you for that. Praise the Lord. God is good. One, one quick note, too, is that I want to ask you to pray for the Cooper Ryder family. Many of you know the Cooper Riders and know that Miss Molly Cooper Ryder passed away a few weeks ago. And her memorial service will be here on the 16th. And I'm, we don't talk about every memorial service that we do. But in this case, uh, several have asked about it because there's been some time between her passing and the, and the memorial service. And so we just encourage you to pray for the family, support the family. And here on the 16th, it'll be a Saturday of February, we'll, uh, we will memorialize her and have a good time. Just schedules needed to be worked out. Uh, last but not least, I want to encourage you as parents, this is the parental warning section of this series, okay? This parental warning section in that the next two weeks, I'm going to be dealing with some questions that you asked that have to do with different lifestyle choices and different situations going on in life that may deal with some stuff that you might not have addressed with your child yet. And so um, if they're in here, I want to promise you that I will never be crude, but I am going to be clear. And so in how we handle how the church should respond, what does scripture say about certain things that are really prevalently in the news and in our world today that, uh, that Christians, we need to talk about it. We, we need to talk about it. And you've asked the questions. And so this is, if you don't want your, if you don't want me to introduce it to your child, <laughs> 
then I encourage you make use of the student ministry and kids ministry. It, it would be great. Um, I do. I, 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 I'm excited about this series and because I can talk about anything because you asked about it. And today, we're launching this series this morning, and we asked you to ask questions, and you did. You asked lots and lots and lots and lots of questions, and so there is no way that I can uh, actually answer every question in its entirely, and I'm the kind of guy that I want to make sure that I have a full and well-rounded answer to the questions, and so we were trying to look at how to do this, and with well over 100 questions, you know, somewhere between one and 200 questions, we we, we decided to group the questions together and try to answer as many questions as possible in every single sermon. And so that's not easy because the rumor is that you don't want to be here for four hours. It's a rumor. I don't know if it's true. Could be, though. And so because of that, if I'm going to try to answer something within the 30, 32-minute sec- segment, I want, to, I want to do the best job I can. So we've lumped all these questions together. And here's the question that we're going to be answering today. If you're, if you're a note-taker in your service guide, there's an opportunity to take some notes. It doesn't have a lot on it, but at least it has lines, so you'll write straight. I'll be positive. And so here's the question. What does Scripture say about heaven and hell? What does scripture say about heaven and hell? And it's a good question. A lot of of questions dealing with either heaven or hell and how scripture talks about it. And it's important to understand because as Christians we believe that life doesn't contain everything that we will be. In fact, it it is accurate to say that our real life begins the day we leave this world. We might be in this world for 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, maybe even 120 years. But at that point, we leave this planet and we move into our next life. And that is eternal life. And that eternal life will be spent somewhere. The Bible talks about both heaven and hell repeatedly. Now, when we look at the word hell or all the words that that can be translated hell in Scripture... We see approximately 86 times that both in New and Old Testament, Scripture refers to hell. So it's not something that's hidden or secret. It's not something that you have to search hard to find. It's there. And there are many different words that can be used to to translate to the word hell. But about 86 times. Then heaven. Heaven, there are both Greek and Hebrew words, Old and New Testament words, that uh, are translated into heaven. And as far as we can tell, about 582 times, Scripture talks about heaven. Now, I say about because sometimes in Scripture, it'll use the same word to talk about multiple things. For instance, it might talk about the heavens, but it's, it's talking about the sky. Sometimes it'll talk about the heavens, but it's talking about the solar system. And sometimes it's talking about heavens, and it's talking about the place where God dwells and where we will dwell for eternity with him. So multiple times. So I may have missed a a scripture or two, but approximately 582 times, both Old and New Testament, uses and talks about the topic of hell. Now, some people say, uh, of heaven, rather. Some people say, well, you know, I, I, I don't know if I, I'm just kind of a New Testament person. I don't really deal with the Old Testament that much. I know that's a kind of a uh, new but prevalent idea in Christianity today. 
I would argue that the Old, Test the Old Testament supports the New Testament. Without the Old Testament, you can't even have the New Testament. But on the other side, both Old and New Testament talk about both heaven and hell. They're both prevalent in Scripture, but you'll notice that heaven is spoken about many, many more times than hell. And I think that's because God is far more interested in t helping us get to heaven than he is in educating us about hell. He wants us to know that it exists and that it's real, but he wants us to go to heaven far more than he wants us to know the intimate details of hell. But it's interesting to me that many more people believe in heaven than believe in hell. And I actually have a, a chart for you up here. Belief in heaven and hell among U.S. adults. Uh, the, the, uh, we, we see it here. 72% of people overall believe in heaven. Only 58% of people believe in hell. If you look down at the Christians there, it says that 85% believe in heaven. Only 70% believe in hell. If you drop that all the way down, this is what kind of shocked me. Atheists. Out of atheists, 5 believe in heaven only three percent live in uh, believe in hell and that was i started kind of zeroing down on those numbers trying to figure that out and i discovered that there's a number of atheists out there that believe that heaven and hell exist if you believe in it but they don't if you don't believe in it that's the ultimate in choose your own adventure as far as i can tell now, there are some that are on, on there uh, that are uh, under the Christian title there, uh, Protestants, Evangelical Mainline, Historically Black, Catholic, Orthodox Christians, and then you have Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. Personally speaking, I do not believe Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses are Christian organizations because I believe that in order to be a Christian, you must believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior and the only way to heaven, and neither of those two organizations do. So that's a harsh statement, I know. But I think, but I'm, but I'm, well, that's what we're here for. <laughs> so what does the Bible say about heaven and hell? I'm going to give you the thoughts on hell first because I like talking about heaven better and I want to end on a high note, okay? So hell was created for all demons after they rebelled against God. And it became the destination place for those who were not saved after Adam and Eve sinned. It wasn't intended for humanity. It was intended for Satan and his demons. See, Satan rebelled against God. And he convinced one-third of the angels to rebel with him. In doing so, he said, uh, in doing so, God said, I win, you lose. But I'm going to, put, I'm going to create a place for you to be in the end of all things because you're not going to be in heaven with me. And so he created this place called hell. Now, where do I get this? Let's get it from Scripture because everything has to be established in the Word of God. So Matthew chapter 25. You'll notice most of the Scripture I use today is Jesus speaking. In this case, Jesus is speaking. He says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory. Now, when he says Son of Man, he's speaking of himself. He is the Son of Man, but he's talking about in the day after he's... But has, after he's lived, he's died, he's been buried, and now he's resurrected, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. So the Son of Man is coming in his glory, and all the angels with him. Then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So he'll place the sheep on his right hand. 
These are the believers, the, those who call upon him as Lord and Savior, those who follow him, okay? Put them on his right side. And the goats, those who do not believe in him, those who are not saved, those who not, do not accept him as Lord and Savior, on the left side. Then the king will say to those on the right, or the sheep, Come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. This is all good. In fact, verses 35 through 40 all describe how these people have accepted him and walked with him. But verse 41 takes the turn. It says, then the king will turn to those on the left, that's the goats, and say, away with you, cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. So he's very clear. This isn't something that you have to study out and try to uh, research and, and, and really it's kind of vague and uncertain and unclear. It's incredibly clear exactly what Jesus is saying here. Now I'm going to give you three things that we pulled from this. You, you've already heard them, but I want you to see them specifically in scripture. The first thing is that hell is eternal fire. Hell is eternal fire. Now some people get all kinds of caught up in, is this literal eternal fire? Or is this figurative eternal fire? And let's just boil it down to the brass tacks. Hell is bad. Okay? Hell is bad. No matter how you look at it, it's bad. Secondly, hell was prepared for the devil and his demons. That's what Jesus says right here. Away with you cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. So it wasn't intended for humanity. It wasn't intended for his children. But because of choices made, third, hell is where those who do not receive Christ will spend eternity. It's what Jesus says. And in our world today, we have a, a, uh, a, a, an understanding of Christianity that we love him, he loves us, he, we get him, he gets us, we're friends. He's our brother, and so on. And so therefore, you know, we can kind of develop a laissez-faire attitude about what it means to live for Christ and live in holiness and live in godliness and pursue godliness. We know that we can't achieve perfection, but when we consistently pursue godliness, we live in that place of repentance and we live in that place that says, uh, if I've sinned, I come back to him immediately and say, help me, Jesus, forgive me. And, and we keep ourselves righteous before him. So our big first thought was that hell was created for all the demons and his angels. But second big thought is that hell is to be avoided at all costs. And this is where what I just said comes to light. Because some people say that it's unbiblical to talk about hell. And it's, it's bad form to say that some people will go to hell. Now you shouldn't say that as just an expression. Because it's serious business. But there are some who will go to a place called hell. And I would be okay if no one did. And I would be okay if hell did not exist. It wouldn't hurt my feelings none, as they say in the South. But Jesus cares, and this is what he has to say about it. He said, I want you to be so serious about your relationship with God that you operate this way. Matthew chapter 5. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Well, 
That's pretty serious. That's pretty extreme. Why would you say that, Jesus? I mean, that, I, I like my right eye. It fits right where it's supposed to fit. And, it, you know, my wife says it even looks good. So why, why would I tear that out? For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. He's saying this is a big deal. Verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It doesn't say if you see somebody sinning with their right hand, cut it off and throw it away. He said if your right hand is, sinning, is causing you to sin, you cut it off and throw it away. So this is self-action. This is self-personal decisions. Why? For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus is saying, listen, it's worth going to extreme lengths to stay away from sin that could potentially cause you to end up in hell. That's exactly what he's saying. And sometimes modern Christianity says, well, you know, Jesus understands. It's all good. We're good. You know, and, and, and I, you know he's, he doesn't want me to suffer too much. And what I'm saying, let, let's take it out of the right eye and the right hand. How about let's do this. If your computer causes you to live in consistent sinful nature before God, get rid of your computer because it's better to go through life with no computer than to die and go to hell. If your job is causing you to sin, well, you ought to think, know what I think about my boss. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Okay, <laughs> repent. The, what I'm saying is, Whatever you've got to do. I had a, a person come to me one time and say, my company is requiring me to lie to customers consistently. And I know that it's a lie and, that, and, and so on. I said, okay, so what are you going to do? I don't know. I can't, I, ah, I, you know, it's, it's tough. And it is tough. There's, there's no denying the tough. The question is, what are you going to do? It's worth, Jesus says, it's worth going to great extremes to stay out of sin that could potentially cause you to go to hell. But most of us have a, an understanding of heaven and hell that's like everybody's going to heaven. Uh, I mean, Hitler, he's probably going to hell. We're going to say that. But, but very few people are going to go to hell. And so we have this idea that maybe, maybe much of what's going on doesn't really matter. But here's what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 10. He says, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So he's saying, if, if I was speaking to all young people, I'd say, so what he's saying is, if, you're, if kids in school are trying to pressure you into doing sinful things, it's better to go through life not having those friends and instead don't respect the attitude and opinion of those friends as much as you respect the attitude and opinion of your God. And to adults, I'd say, don't let people peer pressure you into doing things that aren't right, that scripture says are wrong. Don't do it. Instead, respect the one who is the God and father of us all, who loves us all, who's prepared good things for us all, respect him enough to deny oneself and step into the holiness that he offers, no matter what it costs on this earth. I know this isn't the popular sermon. 
I, I, I know that maybe somebody's sitting here right now going, Pastor, I, this is not uplifting me at all. I'm not even sure if I should have come to church today because this is not what I expected. I want to be told everything's going to be all right. And, and, but you asked this question. And I'll show you the card and you can do the handwriting analysis to figure out exactly who asked this question. Hell is real. And he's telling us, listen, appeasing those who can only impact the body in time isn't as important as pleasing God who's in charge of everything in time and after time. The implication here is that God reserves hell as an option. So the real question that everybody ends up asking when talking about hell is why would a loving God send anyone to hell? Why would he do that? He's a loving God. Well, the scripture addresses that. He said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9, the scripture says, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So the reason why we can adopt a laissez-faire attitude as Christians concerning the holiness of God and living a holy life before God and striving for holiness within God is because, unlike in the Old Testament, God doesn't punish us right now for the things that we do. And so we sin and nothing happens. But what he's saying is God's not delaying his punishment because he's not going to punish us. My kids used to tell me that they prayed, they would pray, they, we would be someplace and they'd do something and I'd say, when you get home, you're going to get it. And I never yelled, I just very calmly. And so they would pray all the way home. Jesus, let dad forget what I did and, and I, don't, I don't want it, Lord. I want it to pass from me in this, in Jesus' name. They got real spiritual sometimes in the backseat of the car, real spiritual. But in the Old Testament, things didn't operate like that. In fact, if you talk to Achan, Achan is a man who, as they were going into Jericho to take the city, God said, I don't want you to take anything out of the city. Not the gold, not the garments, nothing. It's all mine. And Achan, out of the entire nation, he's the only one who took some gold and took some garments. And he thought, hey, nobody's going to know. I mean, so many people, so much activity, nobody's going to know. And then God told Joshua afterwards, he said, hey, Joshua, some dude has taken some gold and some garments and, and tell you what we're going to do. Um, you're going to let the entire nation of Israel go in front of you. And as they go in front of you, I'm going to point out the guy. It's him. And then God said, what I want you to do is I want you to stone him. Then I want you to stone his wife. I want you to stone his kids. I want you to stone his goats, his sheep, his cattle. I want you to stone everything he has. I want all of it wiped off the earth entirely because he has completely disobeyed me. And I wonder, I wonder, would it get any better if God did any of that today? But I am incredibly thankful that he doesn't do it like that today. I'm thankful for the grace that we live in today. Can somebody say amen? amen? But let's not think that the day of judgment won't come. Just because it hasn't come now doesn't mean it won't come. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, uh, verse 10 rather. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will, be, will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, here's, here's how he's, he's about to tell you how it matters and why it matters to you. What's the application of what he's just said? He said, it's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. So he's saying, there is a conduct that you need to adopt here that would allow you to avoid negative and step into positive. We get to choose. Now, the ultimate end of death and hell, we had a few questions in this area, is not that we live, if, if I were, were to go to hell, I wouldn't be in hell for all eternity. Because the Bible says that when time ends, the grave and hell end. In fact, in Revelations, it says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. It says again in Revelations 21, it says that ultimately the one who's sitting on the throne, that's Jesus, says, look, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for I tell you, it's trustworthy and true. He also said, it's finished. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. He said, come on, I've got good stuff for you. This is going to be awesome. Everything can be good. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But then he says, that can all be, but... Those who, but cowards, now that word cowards is not like, ah, scared. That that word cowards means faithless. So faithless, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur that this is the second death. So he's telling us that hell is real. But heaven is also real. And so let me give you some thoughts on heaven, which is a lot more fun. In fact, I don't know if you remember this, but there's an old songbook called Salty. He used to sing, heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I'm going to see my Savior's face because heaven is a wonderful place. I want to go there. And I just sang it terribly. Love and support just is overwhelming. Heaven is a wonderful place. I need to read that part about hell again in just a minute. Yeah. So the Bible doesn't give us a lot of specifics on heaven at large. It gives us a lot of, you're going to be with Jesus in heaven, be, uh, live, with us, live with me in heaven, be with me in heaven. A lot of references, but it doesn't give us a whole lot of specifics to heaven at large. But it does tell us a little bit about this place called the holy city Jerusalem in heaven. 
It's kind of like Toledo is in Ohio, which is in the United States, etc. So uh, the city of the Holy Jerusalem is in heaven. And Revelations chapter 21 kind of describes it for us. First of all, it says it's big. It's 1,400 miles square. So if you left this place today and you drove south on 75, then when you got to Miami, Florida, you will have driven 1,328 miles. If you pass Miami and you head on down into the Keys, you'll go over the first key and you still wouldn't have hit 1,400 miles. In between the first and second key is where you will hit 1,400 miles. And good news, there's apparently a barbecue place right there where you can get some food after that long drive. We know barbecue is going to be in heaven. That's a known factor. So, so you're going to be able to do that. Now, that's a long drive, and it's 1,400 miles this way and it's squared, okay? So 14 by 1,400 miles. The walls are 216 feet thick. So this is a solid and a strong city. It's beautiful. Revelation 21 continues to tell us that the walls are made of jasper. Gorgeous. That the city is of pure gold, which is clear as glass. The walls are built on a foundation of huge, precious stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. Each of the gates is made up of a single huge pearl, and there are 12 of them. The main street is pure gold, as clear as glass. And we know that Jesus is the light of the city. So I can't imagine all of that gold and jewels reflecting the light of Christ as he shines in the city. I mean, the, the imagination paints a picture that is far beyond what any movie screen could produce. It's incredibly beautiful and, and marvelous and awe-inspiring. And yet I think that when we get to heaven, it's going to even be greater than what we can imagine in our minds. And I don't know if this is literally gold on the streets and jewels in the gates and the walls. I don't know if there are 12 actual massive pearls. Those are massive pearls. At first I thought those have to be some massive oysters. Could be delicious. But then I thought it couldn't be that because the oyster produces the pearl based upon irritation. And so if, and heaven's going to be perfect so there's no irritation in heaven which led me to think that heaven is going to be a wonderful place because all the people that irritate me on the earth will not irritate me in heaven. That's just logic right there. So I don't know if if this was the reality that it is one great big pearl or if John was using earthly language to try to describe a heavenly reality and that words just weren't enough. Kind of like when I tried to describe the beauty of my wife. Words just aren't enough. Gentlemen, you can take some notes right there. (laughs) We have a marriage conference coming up. It'll be good. (laughs) What we do see, and it it may not be, it may be figurative, we don't know. But we do know that the value system of heaven is different than the value system on earth. When we read about the gates of pearl and the streets of gold, we know that people on earth kill for those things. But in heaven... It's the building construction material. It's the asphalt and mortar and 
and wood. So the economy is different and the, the things that are valued are different. What did Jesus say about heaven? John chapter 14, he mentioned it. He said, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself. So that where I am, you may be also. So I know you've heard it already, but Jesus just confirmed that heaven's big. There are many dwellings there. He confirms that heaven is where he's going when he leaves the earth. And then heaven... He confirms that heaven will become the eternal home of those who receive him. Jesus is confirming these things. But it's interesting to me, as I'm thinking about heaven, that a lot of what's described could theoretically be duplicated on earth. We could pave streets with gold. We we could build gates of pearl. We could inlay walls with precious stones. And you might say, well, that would be super duper expensive. And I would agree, yes, it is, but cost is relative. Cost is relative. Let me introduce you to a dog collar called the Amore Dog Collar. That dog collar costs $3.2 million. And for some people, that's within their dog collar budget line. And that's okay. It's not in any of my budget lines. So, God bless these folks. But they can do things that I can't do. How about if I introduce you to a man named Mansa Musa? He was the king of Mali. And he was the richest man ever known to live. And history says that whenever he was traveling through Egypt on a trip, that he spent so much gold that he caused a currency crisis to occur. That he spent so much gold that the, the price of gold collapsed. And in doing so, it hurt the economy of Egypt and their trading partners. And they were really, really happy when he left and went back home. Now, Mansa Musa could have paved roads roads with gold. But if he had, it still wouldn't have been heaven. He could have built a, a building of gold and it still would not have been heaven. If we built everything the Bible describes in exact specifications, it still would not be us building Heaven. So the question is, what makes heaven heavenly? And I would suggest today that it's not the what and the stuff of heaven that makes heaven heavenly. It's the who of heaven that makes heaven heavenly. It's Jesus that makes heaven heaven. Years ago, my, my grandmother, her name, was, her name was Ruth, but we didn't call her Ruth. We called her Mama, my father's mother. And Mama lived out on out in central Louisiana and we go to her house all the time and play and she had a bunch of acres and, and a bunch of family lived around there and it was, it was a beautiful place and I, I grew up loving that house. It's not much of a house really, really small, kind of old, but it's where Momo lived and I loved it. Momo passed away and my dad lived in the house for a while and so I went to visit him and Walked into the house and it just didn't feel the same. And I was trying to figure it out. And I, I really didn't put it all together then. I put it all together a little bit later on. But I didn't understand why I, when I walked in, there wasn't that sense of peace and that sense of love and stuff. I mean, I love my dad. I even kind of like my dad. But it wasn't the same. 
The walls were the same. The colors were the same. Even most of the furniture was where it had always been. But it wasn't the same at all. And then I put it together. It's not the same because Mama's not there. The who of the house is so much more important than the stuff of the house. And when we get to heaven, Jesus will be what makes heaven heavenly. Moving from time into eternity places you in the presence of Almighty God. And it's because of that that we can say heaven has no pain because eternal wholeness is there. Heaven sees no death because eternal life is given. We can say that heaven has no fear because His perfect love destroys all fear. And I cannot wait to get to heaven. I can't wait to get to heaven, but if the who of heaven makes heaven heavenly, then we know that heaven came to earth. Because Jesus came to earth. He came to your house so that you could go to His house. He came here with an invitation that said, if you'll let me be your friend, if you'll let me be your Savior, if you'll let me be your God, then I will introduce you into my home when the time for your transition comes. And so I encourage you today, if you don't know heaven, if you don't know Jesus, then heaven can't be your home. That's what the Word of God says. Hell is to be avoided at all costs. And the, the, the easiest, the simplest decision you can ever make in your life is to say, I don't want to go to hell. I do want to go to heaven. And even if I don't know anything about Jesus, I know that much is true. But let me tell you about Jesus. He loves you more than you can imagine. He sacrificed for you so that he can invite you to his house and you can be there for eternity. And so right now, I'm encouraging you as we pray and then as we sing and worship, I encourage you, if you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to to do that today. And then you don't have to worry about hell. You don't have to fear hell. You can enjoy looking forward to heaven and all the beauty that's there. The decision is not a light one, but it's not a hard one. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me if you would, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. You don't have to say it out loud if you don't want to, but I I feel like somebody might need to connect with God today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing. We repent of all of our sins, and we ask your forgiveness to cover us. We're going to turn away from everything we've done wrong, and we're going to ask you to empower us to live right. Thank you for telling us about heaven, but uh, telling us about hell, but thank you for making heaven available. We accept you as our Lord and Savior right now. All that we are, we give it to you and we receive all that you are. We don't take it lightly, Lord Jesus, but we commit ourselves to living holy and righteous before you. Thank you for being the Savior of our soul. Thank you for allowing heaven to be our home. In Jesus' name. And let everybody say amen. Amen. Can we thank God for what he's done in this house this morning? Praise God.